in this episode, find out who I have the causeway in common with. And DSO, it's not a good thing. And then let's make the field tech guy's life much easier. gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey, welcome to another episode. If you want to support the show, you know you hear me say this all the time, and thankfully some of y'all have been listening and actually sending in the reviews. Number one thing you can help me with support this show and all of our other oil and gas podcasts is leave a review on iTunes. And we got a great review by Kurt from Canada. Great tech podcast for the energy industry. I learned something new every time I listen to Mark LaCour. He's a great host with considerable industry knowledge. I try. Like I said, I still learn stuff every day. And we actually have two great guests on the show today. We have Stephen Toops and Pradeep. I'm going to butcher your last name. Deshpande. Deshpande. Oh, I wouldn't have butchered it. Okay. <laughs> Welcome on the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So, Steve, small world. Literally, when you and I connected and I saw where you lived, you live in Mandeville, Louisiana, yep. which is where I spent the beginning of my oil and gas career with Bell South. Yep. I used to make that drive across the causeway, our office right there in Metairie, as soon as you cross over to the north side. And it's just amazing how small an industry is that here yeah. you and I are here in Houston, and yet we both lived in the same little town for a period yep. of time. Yeah. Yep. And you're still there. Yep, still there. Yeah, it's changed a lot, hasn't it? It has. It's grown up a lot. And so, Stephen, how did you get into this crazy industry? <laughs> I actually kind of wound up and worked as the chief financial officer for a oil field service company in Midland for about four and a half years. And I wound well, up there. Punch, oh, yeah. Uh -huh. So I wound up there because a group of investors out of the North Shore had purchased a oil field services company out in Midland. Weren't sure they were getting the right information and so kind of hired me to go in there and make sure everything was okay. And the stay that I was supposed to have there took a little bit longer <laughs> than anyone was anticipating. Include yourself. Including <laughs> myself. And what I saw there over the you know, four and a half years I was there were the problems that oil field service companies had with paper service tickets. You know, paper service tickets were getting lost, paper service tickets, you know, you could, the folks in the office couldn't read them. They had to be key punched not only into our ERP system, but also in the open invoice or whatever the electronic ticketing platform was used on the back end. So what I saw was a lot of inefficiency and that kind of led me down the path that we are now. Yeah, so we're gonna come back to what you're doing now. Pradeep, how did you get this crazy industry? <laughs> So I started my career in Houston with Compaq and built their online system with which you can buy systems. So we started selling consumer PCs, competing with Dell and other companies. And we finally were successfully able to get a site in place. Then I worked for a company called Reliant Energy, which is the we, yeah, we do Reliant, Reliant yeah. Energy. And so there was a desire to start something on my own and, and realize oil and gas was the way to go in Houston. So did a little bit of consulting for Baker Hughes as a subcontractor, then worked as a contractor for Devon. And then we got an opportunity to start this company, which was basically to provide process automation consulting. So we started with a company called NFR Energy, and then we built some reporting and we built an AFE system. And then we eventually got into AP solutions. So, and that was about 11 years back and we've been doing fairly well. Yeah, and we're gonna come back to that. Audience, if you're wondering why you hear background noise, for the first time, we're in the new Canon, which is 
the premier co-working space in Houston. I mean, this place is just stunningly gorgeous. It looks like Silicon Valley, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it, is very, it is very, very nice in here. <laughs> the Ken is a partner of ours, and they gave us a quiet conference room to use, but it's so pretty. We actually set up in the commons area, so you can hear people walking by and stuff. All right, and then before we get any deeper in this, I just want to give a big shout-out to the sponsors show, Flutur. So Flutur is heavy into industrial artificial intelligence. They're in the Gardner's Magic Quadrant. Big shout for them supporting the show. If you want help with AI and oil and gas, specialty chemicals, heavy machine, manufacturing, blah, 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 reach out to them. Great people, great supporter of the show. We appreciate you all very much. So we talked about paper, mm-hmm. and I know this from my years in the field is that their delays, having those field tickets move around, affects something called day sales outstanding, yep. DSO. And if you're a comptroller or any type of, of management in accounting, that's day sales outstanding is a scary thing, right. right? Explain what DSO is. So DSO is how long between when you perform the service to when you collect the money. And, you know, there are, in the oil field, there's, you know, the way that we look at it, we segment it into two different categories. So there's how long your vendor is going to take to pay you. You know, in the oil field, 60 days, 90 days is not uncommon. We've heard about 120 days. Oh, I've seen 120, yeah. But those clocks don't even start until you have the invoice approved inside of their system. Then they start the clock. So, you know, I can't make Pioneer pay you any faster, you know, per their standard policy. But what I can do is I can help you get information inside of that system faster, help you get it in there digitally and that significantly reduces day's sales outstanding. Now, the other thing you must also be affecting, though, is accuracy. Absolutely. Right? Because I've seen this myself. I've seen paper field tickets where somebody put a decimal point, but then when it got key punched in Excel, they missed the decimal oh, point. Oh, sure. And somebody got paid a whole lot more money than they were supposed to get Absolutely. paid. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in addition, you know, if you put the, well wrong, the wrong well name, so the well name is, you know, ABC field A1, and you put A-1, well, that's going to get rejected because, hey, we don't have that well inside of our system. And it was just, you know, someone just wrote the well name wrong. Yeah. And so ClearStick actually fixes this problem, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. So what we do is we have a digital field ticketing system, and we help companies record the information digitally where the transaction's actually happening. So, you know, if you do any look at process analysis, the number one rule is capture data where the transaction's happening. And so that's what we do. And we help companies digitally capture the information where the transaction's happening. And that's out in the field. Yeah, what an amazing way to do that instead of it going back to the office. Because we still, as an industry, I look at the process that we use, and it's still paper-based field tickets that's brought, somebody has signs it, so it's brought back to an office somewhere, it's key punch. It's still not even in their financial system. Correct. Typically, it's in an Excel spreadsheet, and then that is sent somewhere, and then somebody uploads that somewhere and then processes everything. That's so archaic. It is. Yeah. It is. And so, Pradeep, how do you fit into this mix? So, we are the other half of the DSO. There are obviously two sides of it. There is a supplier side, which ClearGistics is going to digitize all the data from paper into data. We are on the client or the operator side, and that is where really a lot of the delays occur in, because if it's paper, it takes time to get in front of the right people. Then there is usually a significant amount of routing. The bigger the company, the bigger the routing that takes care. Right. Routing in the sense it goes through multiple steps, and... Once someone signs the paper, then they have to walk it to the next person, and then it lies there. And so there is there's a lot of inherent delay that gets built, and that's the the main culprit for the DSO. Also, sometimes what happens is paper has a tendency to get lost, and that's where we we see this 120 days plus 
payment cycles. And, and this is going to create a lot of satisfaction issues as the industry grows where the suppliers now have a upper hand. Sometimes this becomes a problem that you cannot get a good supplier to work on your projects. So this is a very critical issue. It's obviously, the suppliers are a necessary part of the overall cycle. So what we do is, once the invoice comes in electronically, we give the ability for the client to route it electronically. We have workflows that are customized to each company. The workflows automatically, once a invoice is approved, it goes to the next step. Till the, till the final approval is met, then it automatically gets uploaded into the, into the ERP system. So this is what usually takes, you know, cuts out about close to about 10 to 15 days from a cycle which would otherwise be about 45 days. So we are the ones that make it possible to keep within the terms. See, this is a very important thing, is a supplier has a terms with the client. Are they keeping the terms? And that's what the tool helps is, it's not necessarily that you pay early, but you pay when you're required to, or when you want to, or when you need to. Yeah, I love that part of it, because the other thing that you're doing, you're creating an audit trail. Yes. Right? That audit trail is there, number one, to protect you legally, but number two, if your workflow has an issue, and that's typically a person, yep. right? We've all had it where somebody had to go get the invoice off to somebody's desk. It's yep. been sitting on their desk for six months, but now you know exactly where that constraint is and you can fix it. Right. And one of the advantages we had is in when we started, one of the project managers on the client side was a consultant from, or AP manager who was a consultant for Deloitte. And that was one of the functionality we built where now, usually when the auditing occurs, what the auditing company does is they basically say, here are 500 invoices or 1,000 invoices. Tell me that you followed the protocol that your company has to make the payments. So now what happens is now you've got to go pull all the paper get into the warehousing or wherever your paper is, because this, usually it is last year's payments. And then you have to prove it to the auditors that you followed all the protocols. And what we provide is one button and you upload all the invoices, and then it outputs a report that says, here's all the workflow that was used to approve all these invoices. Pradeep, you're touching SARS main Oxley, aren't you? Like <laughs> you're touching your compliance. Yes. You're, you're making sure the company can prove they are compliant. Yep. That's huge in this yes. industry. No, and, and that was one of the very first things that we built into the system. And again, our background is all about data. And just like as Stephen mentions all the time, this is all about data. The more paper you have, the less data you have, less information we have. And that's all we're engaged in is how to get the data in format where it reaches the consumers earliest. Oh, this is cool. So you're literally taking unstructured data, which is what the paper is, yep. and you're putting structure around it. Correct. And now it's digitalized, and now you can do stuff, if you wanted to, like data analytics. Absolutely. Which exactly. there's no way you're doing big data analytics on a no. bunch of Word documents. Nope. No, this is really cool. So this streams line on the, and we said count AP, it's counts payable audience, if you don't know what that is. But now you're streamlining that workflow. Now, here's the question I always get when we talk about new technologies is, People in our industry especially start worrying about jobs. Right. But I don't really see what y'all do is threatening jobs as far as making the people that work in accounting's job easier. Right. Well, and that, you know, we run up against people all the time who are inside of our customers who who are worried, okay, you know, when we do this, you know, I'm the person that's inputting all of these tickets into the ERP system or into open invoice or Enterpack. And what we tell all of those people is like, look, the person who knows the most about what's going on in the company are the people doing that. And those aren't the people you want to get rid of. Right. Those are the people who we don't want them to be spending all their days key punching stuff. Right. We want them analyzing information. 
because they're the people in the company that know most about what's going on out there in the field because every day they're sitting there keep punching things inside of the system. And you know, if you run a smaller organization like ours, the other thing that what this would do for me is it give me better predictability of our finance records, right? Because right? I don't have that lag time of waiting right. for an invoice to come in right. before it hits our system. So I get more closer, not real time, but closer to real time view of what my finances right. are. Right. And so, and that's, that is a key point. And that is, that is the first, you know, the underlying reason Pradeep and I started talking. So, you know, we'd focused, our customer focus has always been on the service companies. Those are the folks that we're delivering an ROI to. I can make their business processes more efficient. I can get them paid faster. I can get their system more auditable. But what we started hearing, especially kind of earlier this year, was the operators saying, wait, you know, the operators calling us and going, you know, we have a project where we would like to figure out what we spent yesterday in the field and what we did yesterday in the field. And we keep running into paper service tickets. So what we did yesterday, what we spent yesterday is in some pusher's truck that's running around the Permian. And we don't know it because it's not digital and we don't have it inside of our system. And so what the operators have come to realize is that I can't know that information unless my service companies are filling it out digitally in the field. So that is, you know, that market movement towards the operator interest in digital field ticketing is when we found, you know, we found Pradeep through a mutual introduction because Pradeep handles the operator side of the transaction. So we handle getting it in and then Pradeep handles the operator side of it. So it's a, you know, it's really a marriage kind of made in heaven. I'm glad we're on this show, the tech show, because I get to go really deep and get really geeky about this stuff. But you're also affecting something called earned value. A lot of people don't know what that is. So you have your project management plan, right? That's typically in something like Primavera Project. So you can see where you are as far as completing the project. But you have the other side, which is the financials. So you don't want to be 20% complete with the project and burn through 80% of your capital. And it's actually, even today, I still know a bunch of really large companies that do this in Microsoft Excel. They They pull the project data out of Primavera, the financial data out of SAP, they put in Excel, but it's not live. It's not real. And all it takes is an error in a formula Excel spreadsheet. This is really cool. You would think something that what y'all doing except it would affect something like earned value. But when you got a major CapEx project like a pipeline or refinery, you need to know as quickly as possible if you're blowing through money and you shouldn't be blowing through it. And y'all actually fix that problem. Yes, we do. That is incredible. Working together. One of the interesting thoughts is spend. When does spend happen in? Right? Most of the time, our belief is when I actually pay you the money. But from an accounting perspective, from a project management perspective, from... A, having a visibility as to how deep we are in into the AFE for a project or the spend that we have for the project, it has to be when you consume it, right? So when you go to a restaurant, you you know sign a check, that's when the spend has occurred, not two months from now when you actually pay the bills, right? Right? As a consumer, as a domestic spending, it may be okay now, but for big companies, it is very imperative to know how much money we have committed from a spend perspective. And that's where the issue is lying. So companies have to do accruals, which are usually a good faith estimate as to where it is. But as funding is becoming more critical, the financing is becoming more critical, there are all these covenants that banks are basically, or the investors are basically putting in, saying that there's only so much you should be spending. And they're constantly at the odds because they project a number and the number seems to be so much different. So this is where the, what we are bringing to the table is moment the consumption occurs, the electronic data goes to the client, 
to the operator and the operator knows that this much money has been spent. Now you have much better accruals. See, now you have a much better forecast. If you have covenants, you can give better numbers to your investors. Otherwise, this is almost 60 to 90 days lagging. In As you started this conversation saying, the whole AP system is a lagging indicator. It is not even close to being accurate in terms of timing. And as the earned value exercises are concerned, as some of these exercises are concerned, timing is becoming very critical. How quickly can I get the data to the consumers? That is what is going to show how effectively you're running the business. You know, the other thing that's really cool is investors, because of this, what happened the last four and a half years, are now very picky about how companies spend capital. Absolutely. They don't let them burn through capital like they did before. So if I'm an investor of some sort and I have eight portfolio companies, if I would bring y'all to in and lay, lay y'all over my eight portfolio companies as the investor, I now have real-time or as close to real-time insights into where yep. that capital's going. This is really cool. I want to go deeper into the tech. So first thing pops in my head is we're an industry of legacy systems, yep. right? We still run JD Edwards in places, right? There's still Microsoft Access <laughs> databases in places. Are y'all able to work with legacy systems? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you have the API written to be able to talk yep. to any of the major ERP systems? Yep. Okay. we do. Yeah. And then what, the other thing that's kind of new for the last year or two, which I think is cool, is up until say 2016, 2017, the only people that even understood cybersecurity was the CSO, maybe the CIO. Right. Now the business in the last couple of years has been aware of it because the tax now aren't some bored kids in Florida. It's state-sponsored tax looking to get financial information, give them a competitive advantage. So have y'all taken cybersecurity seriously when y'all design y'all's products? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is one of the advantages. So as you mentioned, there is a significant technology or legacy technology issues in so we have invested in a very recent time, right? So we are making avail of the latest technologies as compared to other companies who are our competitors who may have started this 20 years back, 15 years back. They started with a legacy technology where a lot of these ideas and a lot of these challenges which seem to occur yesterday cannot be handled efficiently. We, on the other hand, we are invested in the latest technologies, whether it's the cloud, whether it is, you know, what now we're able to do is piggyback on the security of, you know, that is managed by you know, companies like Microsoft or Amazon. See, that is the advantage of new investments where we do have the challenge of interfacing with the old legacy system, but that's not as significant a challenge as to keeping up with security issues, keeping up with all the certifications. And this is where we have a significant advantage from having invested into the latest technologies. So are both y'all's platforms in the cloud? Yeah. Software as a service? We use Amazon yeah. Web Services. Love those guys. Yeah. It's, and it, you know, it's very scalable. The infrastructure there is phenomenal. It, I love those AWS guys. And what a lot of people don't understand about cybersecurity is actually in the cloud, cybersecurity is actually better. It's yeah. just different than when you had it on-premise, right? And so yep. if you don't understand the differences, it looks kind of scary. But you know, it's clearly cool. Amazon Web Services, Salesforce, Google, Microsoft, all have dedicated only at sales teams. That yep. Microsoft Azure product is everywhere. Yep. And right. Microsoft's done a really good job. They've turned that company around. I really, 10 years ago, thought they were going to slowly die and go away. But their new CEO is just kicking butt and taking names. Yep. So so you ride AWS platform, which means that you can deliver your products anywhere, anywhere. and somebody has connectivity, right? Yep. right? So I want to go back to the field data collection because I think that's the key. It's also the part that's going to be the hardest to change because you're trying to change culture, right? right? What happens out, you talked about Midland, what happens out in Midland when there's no connectivity for 20 miles? So our system also works when you don't have connectivity. So and when you get back in that connectivity, it'll sync up with oh, the Oh, that's cloud. perfect. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so the guy can actually be in the field with no connectivity. Whenever That's correct. it gets to a place where there is, it then uploads all the, the yeah. data that you pulled. But I'll, you know, I'll tell you that our experience in the field is that the field folks know where there's connectivity oh, yeah. and where there's not, yeah, oh, yeah. especially the truck drivers. <laughs> and more and more, as more and more kind of IoT devices are put on pump jacks and tank batteries, there is more and more connectivity out there in the field. Yeah, I ran across a cellular company or a company that bought some cellular license or PCS license in West Texas, and they're building out infrastructure, and they don't even care about voice. All they're yeah. trying to do is that data. connect that data yep. connectivity, and it's really cool. They're building their own backhaul, so they're doing microwave shots back to civilization. I hate to say it that way, but you know, <laughs> but but that's the reality of it. And so it's like, wow, there's enough of a drive for the operators and the service companies to want to be able to pull that data off. Right that another company can make money by actually building cell towers Correct. just to handle that. That's really cool. Right. Well, I mean, you know, the, a phrase I use all the time, Mark, is that, you know, the amount of money that has been spent on the field side of the business, on the geography side of the business, on the downhole side of the business, you know, we're steering drill bits in West Texas from offices in Houston. Isn't that cool? But everybody on site in West Texas is filling out a piece of paper to get paid. Yeah. And that is changing. Yeah. That is, you know, the, the interest in having digital and transactions is very, very, very intense right now. So the one thing I'll add to this is, see, this is forcing or almost making it convenient that almost all our applications run on phones. So we all have mobile apps. That, so the idea is the amount of data that you need to do the same transaction on a phone is significantly less. And so the, if you're on a 4G, you can use our applications very efficiently. So we do have, we do support the disconnected mode where they download all the invoices and then they can work locally on their laptops and PCs. But the trend now is how can we work, make this application work very efficiently on a 4G connection, which at these days, you know, there's hardly any place in West Texas where you don't have 4G yeah. connection. Right. I mean, whether it's in Eagleford or Austin and other areas, this, this is not, not a problem at all. And that's what's happening is we're getting pushed into providing the same service at a much low bandwidth. And some of our applications are even faster there on the phone than on the, on the PCs. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I that, love it. Right. It's a different platform. This literally is edge computing. People just don't right. think about it that right. way. See, the amount of packing that they do when the, when the packets come down on the cell phones is much compacted as compared to what we do on the internet connections we have, whether it's wireless or wired connection, what comes on the phone is like highly compact. And I mean, even I'm sure you've noticed that sometimes you get your email on your phone before you get on your laptop. Yeah, it's a different route. People don't right. realize that. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. So speaking of stuff like that, here's my other big beef with a lot of legacy systems we use in this industry. They're not intuitive. Have you ever seen a native SAP interface? Right. Nothing against SAP. I love y'all. But have you ever seen a native SAP? You don't know what to do with it. Right. And so companies then hire app dev people to write another layer of code so they can build a user interface, a GUI, so you can at least use the tool that you use to run your whole company. Right. So have y'all given a lot of thought to user interface? Yeah. So when, when we designed our system, we designed it with the field personnel in mind. And so we've not overthought. We've not overdesigned. You know, we're not trying to be an ERP system on a tablet out in the field. There's some folks that are trying to do that and not running into a whole lot of success. Because ultimately, if you can't get that field person to enter the data on your system, if you don't have an easy, clean, very intuitive interface, 
it's not going to work. And then, you know, your, your tablet or your phone's going to become a brick. And so we've spent a lot of money on that user experience. We've spent a lot of money making our system very flexible, very configurable. You know, the, when I'm doing a demo, I love for someone from the field to be in the room because I like looking at them and going, is that something you think you could use? And it's like, yeah, that doesn't look too hard because people get the idea that this technology is going to be big and complicated and, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go through training. And, you know, it's like, once we got the system configured, it'll take about an hour to train your folks. And that's about it. So we spent a lot of time, we've got some, some great UI developers on staff. And so we, you know, we spent a lot of time in, you know, in terms of, you know, just like where the buttons are and how things look and, you know, what things appear on the screen in what order. A lot of that is very, very important. The cool thing is you actually, both y'all come from the industry. Y'all seen it, y'all touched it. One of the things I've seen a lot with tech companies from Silicon Valley that come here is they don't understand the day-to-day reality. So they'll design something really right. cool, but I'll go, the guy that you want to do this is covered in pipe dope and he has gloves on. Yes. Right? Or is that intrinsically safe? Because it's not intrinsically safe. It's not going on the job right. site. So the fact that y'all understand the industry, I'm sure your user interface is designed for those guys in the field so they can actually get the work done. Correct. Yeah, that's Correct. awesome. Good for so y'all. One of the things we're very particular about is who designs the system, in, right? And when, I, when, we say, when I'm referring to the user experience, Right, as you mentioned, it's a whiz kid sitting in San Francisco designing something. It may be fantastic, it may not be. Because one of the things that we have to be very cognizant is when you're asking them to give a paper in, which they have been familiar for the last 15 years, 20 years, many times they themselves have designed it. The only way they'll transition to your technology is you have to be a magnitude better. Yeah, right. The efficiency gain has to be so significant that just because it's it's electronic and the corporation gets advantage of having data, that's not going to sway these guys. Nope. So that is one of the basic issues, basic things that we include in the design is, is a user involved in this? I, as a software developer, my input is not as critical as someone who's an end user. So that's one of the advantages we've had is, we've had, like Steven, we've had always contacts with the users who are currently using a system, and then you spend a lot of time trying to understand what are the inefficiencies, what can really make these guys say, you know what, I have to train myself or I have to jump through some hoops, but I'll do it. See, that is the leap has to be there. It cannot be just an incremental improvement. It has to be a magnitude more in. And user experience is very important. Yeah, so I spent some time on both of y'all's websites. A couple of things here. So first thing is paper sometimes is the right solution, right, depending on what's going on. But the other thing is for the guys out there filling out those field tickets, one of the things you're not going to think of is when you look at the systems that Interpack and ClearSticks doing, it pre-populates a lot of stuff for you. So you're not out there with gloves on trying to write all this stuff in the fields in the right. paper. So it actually increases your efficiency in the fields. It actually takes less time to fill out one of your invoices than it actually does a paper one. And I think that point, to your point, pretty. I think the point that the guys in the field can see that, that yes. it's less time me filling out invoices because nobody likes filling out invoices, no. right? And so you actually make it quicker, and that's a great selling point right we there. We do. Yeah. We do. And that's, you know, we can go in and say, hey, because, you know, again, when you, when you talk about the immediacy of the data, you know, when is that data in the system? Because as soon as it's in the system, it's available, people can see it, you can run reports off of it. And so, you know, we run across a lot of service companies that, you know, their technicians on site for three days and they tell their technician, hey, when you're leaving the site, fill out your service ticket. Well, that's three days of information you have no idea about. And so when we adopt our system, we say, look, 
we're going to get your folks to fill a ticket every day. And I go, oh, every day, you know, that sounds like it's like it's going to take them less time to fill out a ticket every day than it is to fill out one ticket for three days. And then I can tell you what you did in the field yesterday. And it was like, and it's, you know, the reaction to that is, you know, yeah, show us how, because, you know, you're absolutely right. It's got to be a phase improvement over what they're doing now. The, fee, the user has to realize this is going to make my life easier. And a lot of those things start with, you mean I don't have to blank anymore? Right. <laughs> and it's like, no, you don't have to go chase the company man around to get a signature on something anymore. You know, you don't have to bring the tickets to the office every day anymore. No, you don't have to, you don't have to do any of those things because we're not moving pieces of paper around. Everything's digital. So one of the things that I like to, the reason we, we believe that there is a strong relationship that is going to provide a lot of benefits to the client is, see, many times the company man who accepts the products is the one who decides what coding needs to happen. Right. This is the accounting coding. So usually they end up writing on the paper that goes back to the sub- supplier, comes back along with the invoice. One of the advantages is we will do auto coding based on the supplier and based on the part number. And all this company man does is say yes or no. So what happens is now the field ticket that electronically gets sent to the supplier as well as the client headquarters, it's already coded in. It's coded with the company man's information. All the AP teams do is they verify it and now the accruals are ready. So not only you have the spend, but what category the spend is because that's important too. And you removed a lot of the human error from writing codes, right? We do this ourselves. My accountant won't let me into QuickBooks anymore. (laughs) I'm not allowed to touch it. So I have to take pictures of my receipts and we have three codes. And if I don't, I'm not clear if I don't write the codes right, he'll put them in the wrong place. But with what y'all two are doing, that just won't happen. Won't happen. See, it's important to get the company man's input in. And that's what the way it works is it gets handed on the ticket goes back to the supplier and then makes complete turnaround. That is the beauty is that you get the coding. Also, one of the things that we men- you mentioned up front is this. So the supplier says, I delivered 10 parts. Did he actually deliver 10 parts, right? Now, it could be that they delivered eight parts. The company man sends an email saying, oh, by the way, they delivered only eight parts. That is the other thing that they can quickly just say that, yes, the quantities that were on the field ticket versus what was delivered was matching. If not matching, how much was it shorted? See, these are the things that people don't realize. The whole concept of three-way matching and two-way matching that we've been promised so many times. The reason it doesn't occur is because of the paper in it. Because of the manual approvals that sometimes gets lost. And I'd be willing to bet that if in that scenario where you didn't get enough parts delivered, you could build a workflow so it would automatically notify somebody. So you're not trying to call somebody on the phone saying, I'm missing these two pipe joints. Right. Yeah. yeah we, so we have workflow in our system, and then Pradeep has workflow in his system so as well. So what we do is, when the field ticket comes back, we will allow them to invoice only on the parts that the company man accepted. Now, it will let you override it, but it will make note, you know, that, by the way, even though they're billing you for 10 parts, only 8 parts were delivered, and here's the company man's. See, now what happens is all the facts are in electronic record, and so the decision makers can make a decision rather than having to get on the phone or look at the paper, et cetera. See, that's the beauty of the system is bring all the facts, make them accessible at the right time and not having to make, and this is where the advantage is, is most of the AP guys now are running interference, looking for paper, calling people, et cetera. Instead, they'll make good decisions. They'll make sure that the right billing is done and spend more time on analytics, et cetera. So we are not displacing people. We are moving them into the places the reason they were hired for, 
See, no one hires an AP analyst to you know go find paper in or key punch stuff. Or, <laughs> or key punch stuff. Very expensive key right? punchers. Yep. Yeah. Instead, they can do analytics. You know, are we paying the right price for this commodity? Yep. Is do we? Is it consistent with the contract that we agreed to? See, these are the things that a lot of companies are foregoing. In there is a level of efficiency that they are walking away from because they just got to make the numbers. They got to get the things done. You know, the other thing that, that just popped in my head is, you know, we have this new younger workforce. Yep. So traditionally our industry, you had 20, 25, 30, 35 years of experience. That's disappearing. It is. So the other thing y'all do is y'all help this new younger workforce get up to speed quicker because they don't have a choice. They can't make the mistakes that you can make with paper. It's going to keep them. And when you build the right workflows into both of y'all's products, if there needs some level of approval, it will automatically happen. Yep. Yeah, this is really cool. Yep. We're getting to the point we need to wind down the show. So we're at the point where we do our product reviews. Okay, everybody, I appreciate y'all reaching out to me and saying, hey, you can review our fire suppression system or our diesel gen set or our turbine lift. No, these product reviews are little gadgety, geeky stuff. So I appreciate that. But if you have a product you want me to review, think of something you can hold in your hand that's kind of useful. The product review in today is the Audio-Technica ATH-M30 Professional Studio Monitor Headphones. So what you see on my head right now. There you now. go. Yeah. One of the things a lot of people don't know is the headphones you listen to music have a bias, typically a bass heavy, whereas the headphones you want to listen when you're doing podcasts, you want it neutral, which is what these are. The nice things, these are not expensive. They're about $60 headphones, and they sound and work as good. One's cost them three times more. If you end up clicking on the link in the show notes and buying one of these, a couple of cents go to us to help support the show. It doesn't cost you anything, but these things are great. Our entire crew uses it. Then at the end of this, uh, listen for Julie with the street team and updates for uh, events. Big shout out to BCD Travel. They're our official travel sponsor for this show and all of our other shows. If you want to get your parts and people moved around the world safely and efficiently, reach out to BCD. And then we talked about Flutur, who's doing awesome AI stuff and oil and gas. They're also giving away this really cool Port Authority Cyber Backpack. So, Stephen and Pradeep, if you want to win one, it's very easy. You just go to the show notes, click on the link. We give away one a week. This backpack is built for the modern technology worker. Batteries, ports for cords, waterproof where you keep your laptop. So, just really cool backpack. Thank you, Flatour, for giving these away. And then while you're out there, go ahead and go to the website, oilandgastechpodcast.com. Give us your email address. We promise never to spam you. And if you're online doing that, might as well go to the LinkedIn group, join OGGN LinkedIn group. We're up to about 3,000 members and growing like crazy. And you mentioned earlier, Steve, before I cut the microphone on that we ran a contest, which we did. <laughs> it literally, I think, broke LinkedIn for about two hours. We have so many videos <laughs> being submitted. And we're in the process of picking our winner. This is for a new show, the Oil and Gas Offshore Podcast. So audience, stay tuned. We've got some cool stuff going. So, Stephen, if people want to yep. learn more about your company, where should they go? Sure. Our website, clearlogistics.com. So. Pradeep, people want to learn more about your company. They should go to enerpact.com. E-N-E-R-P-A-C-T dot C-O-M. We'll put links in the show notes. You have to be writing things out. And then I'm guessing if people want to reach out to y'all personally, LinkedIn's the best place. Oh, yeah. LinkedIn's a great one. LinkedIn's the best place. Yeah, so we'll put links in the show notes for both their LinkedIn profiles. You know, gentlemen, this has been so good. I'm sorry we had to cut this thing short. We're actually going over time. (laughs) I want to get y'all back on. Good. What would be cool is if we could actually spend a little bit of time actually playing with your, your and maybe even shoot some video. Yeah. Because I want to show the audience how easy it is yep. to do what y'all are doing. Because that's the biggest takeaway for me is you're able to improve your accounting, your day sales outstanding, your field staff likes you better, and the implementation, the use of it, it's ridiculously yep. easy. Yeah. So we're going to have y'all back on. Fantastic. So thank y'all both for coming on the show. This has been awesome. Fantastic. We appreciate it, Mark. Yeah. So, folks, we're making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here's Julie with Events on Deck. And here are the Events on Deck for August 2019. The Oil and Gas Conference, the 11th through the 14th at the Westin Denver downtown. 
SPE Subsea Well Intervention 13th through the 15th at Galveston Island Convention Center in Galveston, Texas. Oilfield Helping Hands Summer Pistol Shoot August 16th at the Texas Gun Club in Stafford, Texas. Uh, of course, Summer Napes coming up August 21st through 22nd at the George R. Brown Convention Center here in Houston, Texas. The IADC Well Control Conference which is the 27th through the 28th at a Moody Gardens Hotel in Galveston, Texas. Oil and Gas Happy Hour in Tanzania, August 23rd, 6 to 10 p.m. at the Best Western CBD Hotel in Dar el Salaam, Tanzania. A PGICE 2019 will be held 27th through the 30th at Hilton Buenos Aires Hotel in Buenos Aires, Argentina, held of course, 27th through the 30th, U.S.-based Oils and Lubricants Summit that will be held the 28th through the 29th in New Orleans, Louisiana. And then, of course, the Denver Happy Hour, which will be launching August 29th in Denver, Colorado at Liberty Oil Services. Hope to see you there. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.